Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Times Boys Podcast. I am your host and owner, Justin Jackson. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Times Boys Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTimeSports. I repeat, at JTimeSports for your breaking news and updates. And don't forget to turn those post notifications on so you're always informed whenever something is going down. And now in this week's episode, I'll be discussing the NBA, what's happening there as we're barreling towards the postseason. I'll be discussing the Final Four, men and women. I'll be touching on the NFL, and then we'll have our best for last. Now, if you're returning here, you know what I'm about to say. But if you're new here, sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Oh, welcome into episode seven of season four of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am excited for you guys to be here. Late night recording, a little later than I normally do so. I usually record, um, well, A, on Wednesday nights, um, and B, not so late in recording. It's about 10 o'clock local time. Um, pretty much all the NBA games are wrapping up. Um, usually I'm recording when the NBA games tip off. Um, and so it's going to change a little bit how I talk about the standings, but I got my phone right in front of me. So I'll give you guys the standings as they sit as always. But of course, we're going to touch on the NBA. We're going to have the, um, final four men and women, a lot of storyline there. Then we're going to have the NFL. And of course we'll have our best for last, but as always, uh, during the NBA season, we're going to jump right into the NBA standings. Um, and so we are going to talk about the Eastern Conference first. And we're going to have, uh, in order, Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, who just smashed the Celtics tonight. Or who beat the Celtics tonight, rather. Embiid had a great game. Might have sealed his MVP at like 52 points. Might have sealed the MVP. Uh, Cavs, Knicks, and Nets round out the automatic play-ins, automatic playoff spots. Um, again, those matchups have been the same as it's been the past few weeks, which would be uh, Cavs, Knicks. That's pretty much, to me, locked in. And Sixers, uh, Nets. Uh, the Heat could catch the Nets, but I don't. The Hawks really can't. So, to me, those two matchups are locked in. And then um, the play-in tournament would be between Miami, um, who sit a game back from sixth. Atlanta, who sits three games back from sixth. Toronto, who also sits three back from sixth. And Chicago, to me, is pretty much locked in that 10 seed. They sit five back from uh, six, and no one else in the Eastern Conference is eligible. So Indiana, Washington, and Orlando, all those are officially eliminated today, really. Um, so those guys are out. Detroit's been tanking all season. Um, so that's how the Eastern Conference is shaking out. For the West, you have Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, with a huge road win against New Orleans on the Pelicans' first night of a back-to-back. Um, Phoenix Clippers the Clippers have 38 losses 
The Golden State Warriors at six have 38 losses. So that is currently the playoffs. But the Lakers, who are playing right now, have 38 losses. The Pelicans, who lost tonight, again, against a tough uh, Kings team when they play an even tougher Grizzlies team tomorrow night, but the Grizzlies off a back-to-back as well. Um, New Orleans is one loss off the pace of fifth. Um, Minnesota's two losses off the pace of fifth. Oklahoma City is three losses off the pace of fifth, um, with Dallas and Utah one loss behind Oklahoma City. Um, so right now, like I said, it's about 10 o'clock local time. Uh, Lakers are just starting. Uh, Lakers just starting their fourth quarter to kind of give you guys a perspective of what kind of time recording and who's doing what. So we'll probably be still. I probably still recording when the Lakers game finishes. I have it in front of me. Um, and when, if and when that happens, I will definitely update the stand. I'll ed- update you guys on the standings. Um, if and when that were to occur. But so the NBA, of course, I you know. You guys are going to hear this Wednesday morning. I said one day earlier than usual. Some big matchups happen. Uh, like I spoke about, the Sixers beat the Celtics for the first time all season. NB went for 52. Um, James Harden does not look great. Um, but NB looks like the MVP of the league. He's kind of going to get the narrative vote for me. Uh, the straw poll. Uh, Tim Bontemps. I mean, man, one of the Tims that go on Hoop Collective. Does, I think it's Bontemps. Does their straw poll. It's kind of like... Uh, you know, kind of a vote of random people. He tries to get as many real voters as possible, but of course he doesn't get 100 for 100. He might get 65 out of 100 of people to vote in his straw poll with actual votes. But he tries to keep it, you know, media members, big TV personalities, you know, guys. Maybe not the exact guys of the vote, but the type of people that would vote. Um, his straw poll had him be beating Jokic by like three points or two points. In the MVP ranking, and it was because a couple of the ballots had Giannis second instead of Jokic. I mean, that's like pretty much how it broke down. Um, Jokic had the most first place votes, but then when it came to those second and third place votes, um, that's when a situation like Giannis uh, interceded and tipped the vote um, towards him being away from Jokic. Um, and so Jokic had a bad night tonight, like eight turnovers or so. NB goes to 52 and beats the number two team in the conference. Um, so that was huge. This last kick is going to be massive for a lot of different things. This last week of the NBA season is going to be absolutely huge. The Nets have found a, a damn gem in uh, Mikhail Bridges. He is absolutely balling. Uh, his efficiency has gone up. The shots he takes has gone up. Uh, he's, he's gotten more volume with more efficiency. It's pretty hard to do. Um, usually, if you get more time to mess something up, you're bound to do it. Um, and so, he's had more opportunities to mess up his shots, more opportunities to struggle um, out of half his bad nights, especially as being the number one guy for the first time in the organization. He's had his opportunities to mess up, and Mikael Bridges has responded wonderfully. It definitely uh, gives credence to the thought that uh, Phoenix was considering not moving him at all. Um, and just kind of like, whatever it is, it is. In terms of, you know, they were going to, from reports, they were going to let Mikael Bridges break the Kevin Durant trade for a long time. You know, we're not moving Mikael Bridges. It was kind of like they wanted to get superstar players without moving that guy, Mikael Bridges, that kind of played like a superstar. I get it. And I'm going to say something that basketball heads and former players hate. 
but it kind of rings true for the average fan. If I'm going to bring it up, and then I'm going to kind of dispute my own point. Mikael Bridges is starting to get Kevin Durant-like volume on shots in Brooklyn, and his numbers are similar. Now, is Mikael Bridges anywhere near the play like Kevin Durant with the eye test and common sense? No, no, he's not. I'm not sitting here debating that, you know, Mikael Bridges would be doing what Kevin Durant was doing if he just got Kevin Durant's opportunities. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there is a pattern when it comes to Bridges. When the Phoenix Suns are pretty beat up and he was the number one guy that could take the shots, his number shot up, efficiency stayed pretty much where it is, you know, he became a better player. And then you get to the situation in Brooklyn. To me, he's the number one guy in Brooklyn. They're going to build around him, at least they should, unless they can find a quick upgrade, you know, in free agency or the trades. Um, and again, his his volume is going up, his production's going up, his efficiency is staying the same, if not better. And so you have a situation like that going on in Brooklyn. I'm not saying Mikael Bridges can do what Kevin Durant's doing. I'm saying that that trade wasn't as lopsided as it appeared, which I kind of say when the trade happened. I said that I didn't think Phoenix um, really won that trade as quintessentially and as obviously and as easily as people say, oh, you got Kevin Durant easily won the trade. And I spoke about how Phoenix is going to have issues with defensively because he traded you know, to your two best defenders, really, for Kevin Durant. Now, Kevin Durant's a plus defender. But he's not Mikael Bridges. He's not a Cam Johnson. You know, he's not these guys that um, really and truly are defensive guys. Um, not just guys, you know, not a guy like Kevin Durant who kind of plays defense off um, athleticism and height. And, and basketball IQ, he's not really a defensive player. Um, and so I, I spoke about how Phoenix is going to have issues with that. They have their moments of bad defense where they do struggle with their defensive effort and their defensive intensity. And I think that comes back obviously, um, to the trade revolving the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Kings. Shout out the Kings. The Kings asserted themselves tonight. Um, now, it was in a non-playoff-like environment. First night of a back-to-back, um, which, of course, does not happen in the playoffs. It was a situation where the Pelicans do not have Zion Williamson, a situation that myself as a Pelicans fan and the NBA as a whole is hoping is not a thing. Um, it was a it was a, a few extenuating circumstances in regards to um, the Sacramento Kings New Orleans Pelicans game tonight, in which the Kings pretty much controlled it after the first half of the first quarter. Um, you know, basketball is a forty-eight minute game. The Kings were in control of it for forty-two. Um, and so they kind of asserted themselves. I know myself and myself and some several Pelicans fans and, you know, the kind of the general consensus around the NBA and in the Western Conference is we want to take advantage of the Kings. That, you know, if it's going to be somebody, you're going to have to battle a high seed, you want it to be the Kings. Um, and, and, and you're thinking that due to the fact of lack of playoff experience, you're thinking that due to, um, lack of superstars, like for instance, uh, let's just go through the let's go through the West. Pretty much teams one through eleven have a legitimate star uh, or superstar on them. Uh, Denver, two-time defending MVP Nikola Jokic. Memphis has Ja. Sacramento, their best players are De'Aaron Fox, Devontae Sabonis. No superstars there. Phoenix has KD and Devin Booker. Clippers have Paul George and Kawhi. Warriors have Steph and Clay. 
Lakers have LeBron and AD. Pelicans have Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Timberwolves have Cat and Anthony Edwards. Thunder have Shea. Mavericks have Luke and, and um, Luke and Kyrie. So you look at it. If you're one of those teams, if you're in that Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Pelicans, T Wolves range, that 38-39 loss range, where you could, you know, that six seed is a team you want to play. Now again, Sacramento asserted themselves very well. Um, they played a really game of basketball, like I said, controlled 42 out of 48 minutes. Um, so that was a big win for the Kings. Maybe, you know, not for confidence purposes or maybe even for um, playing hard to get a certain seed, but they definitely kind of showed to me that they were not a pushover in the Western Conference because, again, many teams are, are rumored to be gunning for their for their sixth seed in order to play them in the first round. Um, so huge kudos to them for defending themselves well um, in the standings and against New Orleans. Um, speaking of injured stars, or speaking of controversial stars, rather, the Dallas Mavericks are free-falling still. Um, they were fourth when they made the Kyrie trade. I spoke about how that one wouldn't work either. Kind of the same principle as the Suns, who's going to play defense. Your problem in uh, Dallas wasn't more offense. It was the fact that you couldn't go on a lawn chair, and they still can't. Um, and Kyrie's offense has not been as effective as they hoped it would be. And so the defensive lapses, I think they're the league's worst defense since Kyrie joined, are not being made up on the offensive end. Um, and, you know, they are 3-10, and 10, I believe, or something of that nature when Kyrie and Luka play. Um, when Kyrie showed up, the Mavs were the fourth seed in the West. People thought they had a very low ceiling, thought they were going to be um, first round out, maybe second round out team. Now they've made all these trades. The Dallas Mavericks pretty much are confirmed to be a first round and out team um, if they would even make the playoffs at this point, which uh, at this current gesture seems incredibly unlikely that they are even a play-in team, nonetheless a playoff team. Um, there was a report that came out that said that the Dallas Mavericks brass was considering shutting Luke and Kyrie down the last few games in order to try and help their draft positioning. Um, I don't know how true that is. But it would not be totally um, asinine to think because they are in a situation where draft position is probably a lot more favorable than playing potential because, again, they're trying to not give up that first-round pick. It has certain protections on it. Um, so that would be an interesting uh, situation if Dallas ends up somehow keeping that pick because then at least they can put together some young talent, um, some young cheap talent like they've got. Kyrie and Luka, obviously, but um, if they can get, like I said, a young rookie, they already got Josh Green, I believe is the kid's name. Um, some young pieces around Kyrie and Luka that come relatively cheap that wouldn't mind doing a lot of the grunt work. Um, but that is all we have uh, for this section. Uh, I'm taking a look at Lakers Jazz again on, on the TV in front of me. Um, 109, 104, 503 left, Lakers lead kind of a score update at the moment. Uh, but we're going to hit several key points in the NBA discussion today with the main one being about the collective bargaining agreement being redone. Um, so several major things about it. Uh, the luxury tax was modified. So now there's an additional floor. There's an additional level uh, for teams to go through that when it gets to that certain level, they have all kinds of restrictions, such as not being able to send cash back in trades, 
um, not being able to trade first round picks up until a certain year um, or past uh, younger than a certain year. So it's, it's, it's very interesting what that luxury tax will do. It also penalizes the high spenders even more. Um, something that kind of helped the NBA, the mid-level exception was raised. Uh, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception went to about $8 million. Um, And so that's going to help a lot of the NBA out. Also, a lot of times those second-round picks would have to get paid for those extensions out of the mid-level exception. They have now made an exception to the exception that if it is a second-round pick, their extension doesn't count to that mid-level exception because the Lakers have a bad problem with uh, extending people for two years off their rookie deal and then not paying the contract. Um, and so, or second second round picks and undrafted players, rather, giving them two-year contracts. So they come in and outperform their contract. Shot on Austin Reeves, they're in a bad spot in terms of they're going to be looking to get their money. Um, so that's going to be a very interesting situation there. Um, it includes early bird rights. Bird rights, bird rights, for those who don't know, is basically the ability for a team to go over the salary caps who sign you. Um in the CBA. The restricted free agency window. So now currently as it sits right now, if a player like for instance we had the Miles Turner uh, Indiana Pacers situation, um being potentially put in a go bear trade or something or another. So if a team offers somebody a contract, so let's say you work for I don't know, the Pacers. You're a player for the Pacers. And you go into restricted free agency. They tell you to test your market, see what you're worth. Portland comes at you with 94 million. You're 94 million over five years, you know. And you think to yourself, I have to take this deal. Five years, 94 million dollars. Here I come. But you're restricted free agent. So your team, let's say you, you know, you play for Indiana. The team that offered it to you was um, the Pelicans. So the Pelicans are now counting you in their books, and they have the, the finances tied to that five-year, $94 million contract. Um, it used to be, it used to say that NBA executives, NBA teams rather, had 48 hours to match the deal. Now the rule has been changed to 24 hours. So it helps the team if they decide we're not going to move on. Um, it frees their money up faster. It helps the new team. Uh, similar to that, it frees up um, that financial capital faster if a team would have matched. And to me, it encourages more teams to match. Um, salary cap extensions. One of the big things was that uh, it doesn't make sense for certain players to extend off their rookie contracts because they can only make 120% of their rookie contract and they would get more for agency. Well, I was there today and they... Uh, approve the extension number from 120% of your rookie deal to now 140% uh, of your rookie deal. It, it might as well be called the Jalen Brown rule um, because he won't get the Supermax. He's already on the team with a Supermax player. Um, so he won't get the Supermax, but he will be able to get uh, an additional 20% in um, their contracts in the NBA. And like I said, basically, I would go call it the Jalen Brown rule because his ability in outplaying his contract so effectively for the Boston Celtics led to really sparking this debate. So like in Derrick Rose rule, like Derrick Rose won the MVP on his rookie contract at 22 years old. So people thought it was incredibly unfair for him to only be able to get offered 
X amount of money. Um, and so they changed the rule to where it allowed um, more, um, I don't know, record. it allows more guys to be rewarded for their abilities, even if they're not, quote unquote, at a certain age um, to get them. You know, they, they, they allowed to get those big, giant mass contracts at 22, 23, instead of having to wait, perform, and dominate, really, until they're 27, 28, 29 years old. Um, another big thing is going to affect the product itself. I'm kind of excited for it. Um, there is now a minimum game threshold for regular season awards. So for stuff like MVP, Most Improved Player, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player, whatever, you will now need to have played 65 games to be eligible um, for this award. So that is going to try and make players that like to rest and like Kawhi's on this weird resting schedule like, are you... You can do that, but you won't get regular season awards, you know. And it's going to be hard if you don't qualify for the games played, in my opinion, if it's on the fence for the All-NBA team. You're probably, you're probably not going to get that vote. And so for some of these guys, that's $30 million lost. Um, and so they've really got to um, play those 65 games in order to fulfill the new collective bargain agreement where you need that in order to win an MVP or most improved player rookie of the year. Etc. Uh, also, another big thing with the contractual structure. So, three supermax contracts were never allowed on the same roster. That's part of the reason why the Ben Simmons Bam Adebayo trade, uh, or Jimmy Butler Bam Adebayo trade, worked out so well because it used to be uh, it would be a major issue if there was two supermax people in the same area. Because now, uh, like I said, contractually. You didn't, it was kind of helping teams get away from themselves in terms of you can't put three Supermax players on the same roster. So that was kind of helping GMs not use excess cap space and stuff, um, but to try and keep the bills um, manageable for these teams. And, you know, these bills are going to come due, so it's about all about trying to keep them manageable for the team. But again, three Supermax contracts might have kept the KD, Harden, um, Kyrie thing together. Um, if they could have all three been Supermax guys, they might have stayed together. So we definitely going to see an impact on uh, player mobility uh, coming up and coming forward. Um, the one and done rule is still in place and the end season tournament has been approved. How it looks, what it does, what it accomplishes, how much people are getting paid for it, etc. is to be determined, but there will be an end season tournament coming soon. But up next, we're going to shift to the Final Four and talk about the men and the women Final Four uh, coming right up next. Welcome back into the show. Uh, now we're going to jump into college basketball as it wrapped up its season. Uh, men's last night, women's Sunday afternoon. Um, first of all, I want to congratulate um, the LSU Lady Tigers and the uh, UConn Huskies for their national championship victories in their respective tournaments. And of course, we're going to talk about each situation. 
But we're going to start off with actually the more popular, um, the more talked about, and the more honestly better um, tournament, which is the Women's um, March Madness Tournament. Well, of course, we're concluded with LSU defeating Iowa like 102 to 87 for the LSU Lady Tigers or Men Tigers for that matter. Uh, first basketball championship. Um, and so uh, the game was a pretty good game for your LSU fan. It was rough for you, an Iowa fan, uh, Iowa fan. The refereeing was uh, not great to be kind on both sides. Um, and so it kind of made the game difficult to watch at times. Um, very, very frustrating with some of the stuff that was happening in that game. But ultimately, the game comes down to a couple of moments, about 30 seconds, um, where um, Kaylin Clark, so backstory, Kaylin Clark did is a known trash talker, and she did the John Cena, You Can't See Me, to Haley Van Liss and the Louisville team in the Elite Eight game. And so we're in a situation where LSU is um, beating Iowa and they're, you know, talking and the game's pretty much over. Angel Reese does it back to Caitlin. Um, and this kind of backstory is multiple backstories in the situation. LSU thought it was disrespectful the way Iowa guarded South Carolina. At one point, Caitlin literally took a step towards a South Carolina player who had the ball, was by herself wide open. Um, but she only, shot, she only shot 21% from three. Caitlin takes one step towards her, literally waves her hand like, I'm not even going out there. Um, and that's how she was playing. She was talking in the ear of Haley Van Lith in Louisville. Um, it's what she does. And when the opportunity arose for Angel Reese and the rest of the LSU squad who found their actions towards uh, South Carolina disrespectful, uh, who have a lot of ties really all across the country, um, when they had the opportunity to take their shot back, and to take it back at Iowa, um, they definitely took it. Like I say, uh, shout out Jasmine Carson for her five threes in the first half. Um, shout out Angel Reese, of course, most outstanding player of the tournament, the Final Four. Um, and she also broke the single season double digit, uh, single season double double record for NCAA women, maybe in general, um, but she broke the record with 34. Uh, shout out Alexis Morris, aka Lex Luther. Uh, her amazing second half. And, of course, Kim Mulkey, um, to me, uh, became the GOAT female coach and female basketball coach. And now you're, you're probably thinking, you know, Oriyama has the most wins and titles. I get that. Past summer's got more rings. I'm fine. Kim Mulkey is the first coach ever to lead two different programs to national titles. Uh, she showed up to LSU two years ago. She showed up to LSU a year two for her. The year before she got there, LSU won nine games in the season. Year one, 26 wins. Year two, championship. Um, and so it's kind of like she just left. A, she just come from a championship at Baylor in 2019. Um, she's already back at it again at LSU in 2023. Um, so absolutely, um, to me, she is the um, she is the goat female coach. It's hard to. She doesn't have the total wins. I'm sure she'll stack. She's got at least five, six seasons at LSU. They're going to win 25, 26 games a year. So she'll add another 100, 120 wins to her um, total at least before she walks away. So she'll get there. But in terms of being the first ever to lead two different programs to a national title, especially considering how she did it, um, this LSU team had nine new players. The only player that came back, to my knowledge, from the year one team was Alexis Morris. Um, and she was the starting guard 
opposite Caleb Pointer, if memory serves me correctly, for that year one um, LSU team. So huge congratulations to them. Um, but of course, the storyline um, broke down into, like I said, towards the end of the game, Angel Reese began copying Caitlin Clark's You Can't See Me celebration. The reason being is um, Alexis Morris, Angel Reese, several of the players, Fajay Johnson, spoke about how they found how she, how Caitlin Clark treated South Carolina disrespectful. Um, and then, disrespectfully, rather. Um, and then, of course, you had an Angel Reese reference in the game that Caitlin said something to Alexis Morris. Um, and so that kind of added fuel to the fire. Angel and Caitlin have a back history. When Angel was at Maryland, um, she beat Caitlin all three times they played. So she's 4 0 against Caitlin Clark. And there's pictures of her, you know, celebrating pretty, uh, pretty openly um, right around Caitlin Clark. Um, and so she did it again. She's used to doing it. She did it again. She beat her in a big game. And she celebrated right around her. Um, but then, of course, Angel's actions, again, doing the exact same action for the most part of um, Kaylin Clark, the You Can't See Me celebrations, etc., brought a certain section of social media, brought a certain section of reporting that began to call Angel Reese a lot of different things. Um, classless was one uh, piece of S word, I won't say it, Trying to keep this podcast clean as much as possible. Um, saying that she wasn't raised correctly. Um, you know, and, and uh, Angel defended herself immediately in the postgame. Stated that, you know, she's been being called ghetto and classes and stuff all year. Which is true. She fought about it. Um, I think it came out really January 20th. Um, that she defended herself for the first time. That she was gaining popularity. Unless she was starting to roll. And people started to notice, you know, and so she began to defend herself then uh, against accusations of classlessness and um, ghetto and things that a black woman, and nobody wants to hear, but especially, you know, a black woman get that title. Um, and so she fought against that, you know, late January, and then she turns right around and has to defend herself after the greatest moment of her basketball career. She has to defend herself against these very same claims, um less than, you know, an hour, less than 30 minutes uh, from her uh, biggest moment in her basketball career. I'm not going to take it to the race part because the race part's obvious to me. If you don't understand this is a racial issue, I can't help you. There's no way, there's one difference between Kaylin Clark and Angel Reese. It's just, it's, it's, it's life. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're both female, they're both basketball players, they're both Division One athletes, they both did the same celebration, they both are competitors, they both are great players. There's one fundamental difference between Andrew Reese and Kaitlyn Clark, and that's the color of their skin. Um, and so if you can't uh, understand that this is a racial issue, I can't help you. But I but I gained a lot of respect from Kaitlyn Clark over these past couple of days. She was asked about it after the game. And she stated she didn't see it. She was trying to get back to her team. Okay. That's a good answer. Even if it's even if it's not true, it's a good answer. She was asked about it today. She was on ESPN or yesterday. I was not you guys hear this, but she was on ESPN uh, OTL. I asked her 
what does she think about the backlash Andrew's been receiving? She made it her point to say, I don't think she should have any backlash. She's a great player. It was a competitive moment. Um, and then she even went into the second half of this controversy um, when Jill Biden, uh, First Lady Biden, said that on Twitter, or said, maybe not on Twitter, that she's going to speak to Joe, her husband, about inviting Iowa to the White House as well as LSU because of the great game that Iowa played and how competitive those ladies were. And Caitlin Clark refuted that as well, saying that, you know, runner-ups don't go to the White House, let LSU have their moment. Um, now, when this statement came out, when this article was released on ESPN, the LSU basketball players and the LSU community, rightfully, we, we, we got pretty pissed off. Um, and people who believe in fairness got pretty pissed off. It's an American sports tradition. The champion goes to the White House. NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, men's March Madness, women's March Madness, other teams have gone. Champions go to the White House. That's that's the way it works. Major champions go, major team sports champions go to the White House. That's the way it works. Um, and so even if it wasn't centered around a black-white issue, that winning team was going to feel some type of way about, you know, what do you mean the team we beat gets an invite? That's not how this works. Um, and so, but after the auto came out and it began to circulate, uh, Angel and uh, Alexis Morris said, basically, we're not going to the White House. They can invite us how they want to. We're not going. Uh, they said they were going to, you know, talk to the Obamas, see if they can go celebrate with the Obamas. Um, you know, and... It, it was just added to the social media stir. Like I said, you had people calling Angel a classless piece of you-know-what. Um, you had famous LSU people and people in general, from Shaq to Leonard Fournette, um, jumping in and defending her. Uh, Boosie as well. He's, he's a big LSU sports person. We uh, saw that most recently, not with these ladies, but most recently when LSU was making their run with Joe Burrow. Um, you know, other people stepping in to defend Angel Reese. Um, and her social media following has grown tremendously. Um, she entered LSU, I think, with 70 to 100K following. She, um, before the national title, before the Final Four, she was, you know, 400 grand, maybe 450 grand. Um, Flaze Johnson, the same thing about, you know, I don't know what her starting number was, but now Flaze and Angel Reese are over a million dollars. Uh, over a million, sorry, over a million followers on Instagram. Uh, they are two of the top six, I believe, female NIL valuation play people. Um, so it's been good for business. It's been bad for controversy, but good for business for injuries to be involved in this situation, in this spiciness. Um, me personally, as far as what I would want to happen, I would want LSU not to go. You got to send a message. You can't invite the losing team, especially when it's an issue of black-white. Um, you can't send a message. You can't send that if you're from the White House. If I'm the LSU basketball team, I don't go. I don't know what I do. Gonna the Obama's want me? I'm going there. I, like, I don't know what I would do, but I know for one, I would not go there. Uh, again, kudos to Caitlin Clark for you know saying that they shouldn't go, basically. like It's not their moment. It's not their time. Let, and she said LSU enjoyed their moment. Uh, also, before we move off the women's Final Four and go to the men's Final Four, 
of the Final Four as a whole. The Final Four is a Final Four round, and the National Championship game set records with the national title game um, having a viewership of 9.9 million, which is a 104, if I'm saying correctly, percent increase from the previous year. Um, so absolutely record-breaking numbers. It beat all. It beat all star games, excuse me. It beat every NBA game on this year. Um, it just did a wonderful number um, and kind of remind me of the phrase, build it and they will come. Um, you know, you hear people talk about women's basketball all the time, that, you know, that's, that's one thing. But if you give people an opportunity and the ability to watch the sport, to grow with the sport, to have a team that they root for, to have a person that they like, um, to have a situation that they're a fan of, they will watch it because it is sports. It is what people do. They watch sports. Um, and so that is definitely a major bonus um, in terms of what um, the advantages are that exist um, with trying to grow the female game. And one more thing before I move off this topic, um, the Men's March Madness Tournament was built in 1979, pretty much on the backs of the black-white controversy between Maggie Johnson and Larry Bird. Um, let people try to figure out if Larry Bird was the great white hype. Turns out he was the great white hope. Um, he ends up being the greatest Caucasian NBA player ever. Um, arguably the best small forward ever, depending on how you start LeBron. Um, but one of the five, ten best players to ever lace up shoes was Larry Bird. Larry Johnson, one of the three best players, the four best players that lace up shoes. So it's one of those competition moments where it's absolutely insane. Um, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking that the women's tournament is going to catapult next year um, because you got people like Paige Beckers coming back. You got people like Haley Van Lith, who's been tossed to the side in this discussion in terms of she kind of started it with going at uh, Kaylin. And so she's kind of been tossed to the side with this. And, of course, there's the black-white issue with Angel Reese versus Caitlin Clark. And that may end up catapulting because unlike Magic Bird, Magic Bird played that game and then both in the NBA. Um, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark are both coming back next season. And, then, you know, that could be a preseason tournament situation. That could be that could be an early season tournament situation. That could be an early, you know, NCAA, NCAA tournament situation. Um, and of course, they're going to bring all this back up whenever those two do square off again. And then jumping to the men's tournament, um, pretty underwhelming. Like the women's tournament was exciting. You had Kaylin Clark, who broke the record for the most points in the tournament uh, by Cheryl Swoop. She the record was one seventy seven. I think Kaylin finished clean over two hundred. Um, you know, the men's tournament was just pretty underwhelming. There was no major personalities. The Cinderella's thing got repetitive. It, it made you lose interest. It's sort of like the Cinderella's cool until they play Duke. They Duke beats him and keep moving. Um, you know, large segments of the country had no interest. The SEC pretty much had no interest. And once Brandon Miller lost, and then Alabama lost, they pretty much knocked out the SEC interest. Duke and uh, Duke's out early. Carolina doesn't make it after being the preseason number one seed. Um... You know, the West Coast, not really. Like, it was a pretty, I mean, San Diego State ended up being in the, in the championship game. And Florida Atlantic, I said Southeast, ended up being in the Final Four. But it's like, those are your two fan bases that made the Cinderella run. You had San Diego State and, um, you had San Diego State, 
and Florida Atlantic and um you know oh, San Diego State and Florida Atlantic is just Cinderella's playing each other and it just kind of knocks out some of the mystique and the joy of a Cinderella but like I said on my last podcast and I'm going to try to reiterate it to make it a little more clear this is going to happen more and the reason why it's going to happen more is because people um the talent level is getting closer and it's going to come down to raw talent in terms of these one-and-done guys, the ones who don't go to overseas or who don't be an overtime elite or who's not going straight to the G League or who's not just international talent in general, um, these guys that don't do that path, how many of these guys can you get to buy into a system, buy into a scheme? The legendary coaches are fading away. Dan Hurley, no offense to Dan Hurley, Dan Hurley won the NCAA title as a coach. I, I, <laughs> and his team dominated. His UConn team dominated the tournament. All, re- all respect to UConn, to the Huskies. It's their fifth tournament since 1999. Um, they are officially in the class of Blue Bloods. Um, you know, you've got five titles in 24 years. Um, you're officially a Blue Blood. Um, so welcome to UConn to the ties of the Blue Bloods. It's the Michigan States. It's the Dukes. It's the North Carolinas. It's the Kansases. It's the UCLA's. And now to me, UConn is officially a Blue Blood. Um, in terms of how they should be looked at and how they should be treated. But Dan Hurley won the ancillary title. San Diego State was in the title game. Um, Florida Atlantic was in the title game, was in the Final Four. Like, you're looking at a situation where these teams, these older veteran teams that have 21, 22-year-olds that aren't glitz and glamour NIL transfer portal guys that they – were recruited by Florida Atlantic as an 18-year-old. They're there at Florida Atlantic at 22. They played for Florida Atlantic for four years. Now they're playing a team of 19-year-olds. That team of 19-year-olds may be a lot more just raw talented, but in the game gets tight, I've been in these situations for four years at the college level. You know, I know how to hit that big three. I know how to get that steal. I know how to have this moment. And so I'm thinking that these quote-unquote Cinderella's, these nine, these, these seven, six to 11 seed teams, that are these veteran teams. I mean, they may be, you know, 19 and 17 or 19 and something, 17 and 15 in regular season, barely get in, whatever, but now they're in. And now they're 22, uh, 23, 21 years old, with a couple of, you know, young stars, but 22, 23 years old, playing against 19, 20-year-olds, and it's the first time you guys have been in this spot. You know, that maybe that team's third or second or third tournament. You know, there's a lot of different ways that, you know, that veteran experience is going to take over in the game in a situation they've been in as opposed to a group that has never been in that spot, uh, which is remi- kind of reminds me of when uh, UMBC beat Arizona. DeAndre Aiden quit in the second half because the priority left from beating UMBC and playing for Arizona to not getting hurt protected by no number one overall pick and draft stop. Um, and so I think that's going to happen a lot more. You see guys, man, you go down 15 in the second half, they're they're tapping in. So if they're a high draft pick, they're, they're tapping out. I'm all to the NBA. Um, and so that is going to happen to me a little bit more. These veteran-laden teams, these at-large veteran-laden tournament teams, they're going to make six, Sweet 16, Elite 8, maybe even some Final Four runs because of the experience they're going to have in those situations as opposed to the young kid who may be already one eye, foot, and leg um, in the NBA. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL really quickly and talk about what's going down there.
Welcome back into the show. Uh, the Lakers game has gone final. Uh, the Lakers did get the victory um, in overtime. Hell of a game by LeBron. Uh, 37 points, game-winning layup. Um, they play the Clippers tomorrow. Oklahoma City and Golden State may end up deciding what they do because if Golden State were to lose to Oklahoma City, the Lakers would then control their destiny their last two games of the season for the sixth seed, owning tiebreakers, etc. Um, the last two or three games the Lakers have played, they would own their own destiny. And you're thinking about um, LeBron James. He's just come back off his foot injury. He hadn't played 38 minutes in forever. He spoke to reporters after the game, stating that he's going to need to put his feet nice. That doesn't sound like a scenario. That doesn't sound like a situation I want LeBron in. Anthony Davis, not really playing back-to-backs either. So, if the Warriors were to lose, it doesn't benefit the Lakers to play tomorrow. I mean, it'll help them if they win the game and they get kind of a reprieve that they blow a game later. But if they don't uh, play tomorrow, their guys and Warriors lose tonight, you know, they'll still control their own destiny to get the sixth seed, which is the seed, again, everybody's looking at, which is Sacramento. But back to the NFL, which is what this segment is. Um, the New England Patriots, we're going to start off there, had some controversy. Um, so there was, there's been widespread reports over the past few days that, we'll backtrack a little bit. You guys remember that article, that long, long expose um, about the dysfunction in the New England Patriots last year, uh, especially on the offensive side, but in the organization in general, but the dysfunction that was happening between Bill Belichick and players basically revolting because Belichick looked out for his friends as opposed to winning football games and um, all these details came flying out that nobody ever heard and, you know, all this other stuff happened. Great report and great piece of writing. But, of course, the source for that was always an issue because whoever the source was, it, it had to be close enough and trusted enough to where when the source was quoted um, later in, in life that that source would be able to point to a specific person you know, you told me, blah, 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 um, which doesn't happen in writing, whatever. But the it was an incredibly long, detailed article about the New England Patriots, a day-to-day operations, what arguments were happening in meetings, how players felt about what. Pretty much had to be inside information because there's no way you get that from just asking around and asking questions. And so it was rumored a couple of days ago that the inside source was Brian Hoyer, a longtime Patriots backup quarterback. The uh, That began to swirl, like I said, a couple of days ago that the person in the building that was talking to reporters was Brian Hoyer uh, because it was a lot of bases about Matt Patricia, the pass game, uh, about Mac Jones, etc. So, again, people kind of put two and two together um, and began to zero in on Brian Hoyer being the uh, leak in the building. And that was kind of backed up with the Patriots releasing Hoyer and then Hoyer going to the Las Vegas Raiders uh, today. But again, you got to hit this tomorrow um, on a two-year contract. Um, So that pretty much confirmed the issue was Brian Hoyer as the mole. But a Bleacher Report article came out today. And, you know, me and Bleacher Report have a very tenable relationship, an untenable relationship. Um... Came out, but Bleacher Report came out today and stated that Mac Jones has been being shot to several teams. The teams are unknown at this time, but 
he has been shopped to several teams. Um, which a long part of that, going back to the article, a long part of that expose article was the dissatisfaction Mac Jones had um, in the situation Belichick had set up for him. Um, now, Mac Jones is right. I'm not going to waste a year of my career or more trying to make a defensive coach who, by the way, wasn't that great of a defensive coach, trying to make a defensive coach, an offensive line coach, into an offensive coordinator. Um, and so, Mac, if that was his frustration, he's earned that frustration. Um, but if Belichick's trying to purge the locker room, get people like that out, whoever was involved in this article he wants gone, then that can make Mac available for trade. In which case, do the Patriots immediately get in on Lamar Jackson? Um, but that's neither here nor there. That's a lot of speculation, a lot of rumor. Um, neither Mac nor uh, Horrier, I mean, neither Mac. Um, Noah Belichick have effectively filed for divorce. Um, you know, there's rumors swirling, but it is what it is at this point in the in the NFL. There's always rumors swirling, especially during the offseason. So it is what it is at this point. Now, a few quick hits. Uh, Jalen Carter has an interesting draft strategy as being advised by Drew Rosenhaus. They're not going to take a team meeting below pick 10. Uh, pick 10, I believe, is the Eagles pick um, that they got from the New Orleans Saints, which kind of gives me the indication that he hears or that it's a strong, wide feeling he ends up as a, a, a Eagle at number uh, 10. Um, but Rosenhaus said he firmly believes Carter will be a top uh, 10 pick, and so he was refusing interviews with anyone else. Very interesting draft strategy. This was the pretty consensus number one two weeks ago and then um more situations and more stuff came out about the situation um in georgia and so it kind of it's affecting his drive stop um there's rumors that a couple teams are taking him off the board as you know I, i he wasn't directly responsible for the incident although i definitely can see why um, getting away from him would be a, the move for certain teams. Uh, Anthony Richardson put on a show of throwing strength and pretty solid accuracy at his pro day. Um, he had a couple of viral moments where one way he hit the ceiling on a deep ball, and then two, he did his throwing routine and finished it with a backflip. Um, so it kind of showcases raw athleticism and how, how able he is to physically be ready uh, for the um, NFL. So Anthony Richardson put on a show at his pro day. Uh, physically, he's there. I have questions about his decision making. He's, I have questions about his completion percentage and accuracy. He completed 56, 57% of his passes in college. That's not going to cut in the NFL. In theory, you lose points of accuracy in the NFL. So we're talking about a 50% passer in the modern day. That doesn't work. Um, Josh Allen was getting questions after his second year being a 63-64% passer. Um, and he has much more physical gifts uh, than Anthony Richardson does. But we're going to definitely keep our eye on Richardson. I hope he lands with a good QB coach and a good OC that will give him time to develop, to grow, to learn before tossing him into the deep end um, of the playbook. And then, a, and then the Houston Texans. Oh, now rumored to be potentially passing on a quarterback in number two. 
Um, they worked out with Anderson uh, recently, and so now they're potentially or brought him in for a visit. So now they're potentially passing on a quarterback at number two and drafting Anderson at number two. Uh, it kind of rings out like when they had Mario Williams over Reggie Bush. Now that ultimately probably worked out for them. Um, I mean, although honestly, Reggie Bush's career ended up being better than Mario Williams' career, but uh, Reggie Bush wasn't the player people thought he was going to be. Um, so that even wasn't as bad. But this seemed like another you know situation where it's a generational offensive player. This time at the quarterback position, and you're looking at the top defensive player. Hey, there's no shame in that game. I just would take advantage of getting my quarterback when one's available to me, especially one as projected well uh, as Bryce Young. I would take the guy that is available to me. Um, that is what I would do if I'm the Houston Texans. But I am not, so we're definitely going to see. And speaking of what I would do, um, the Justin Time Sports Mock Draft Volume 1 will be next week's show. Um, so that will be in next week's show. You guys will definitely have my mock draft, my first one, um, next week. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a welcome back to baseball. Baseball is back, and that is our best for last. Uh, baseball is back. Um, opening day was a few days ago, um, and then his first, you know, at bat of the season, Aaron Judge goes yard. So can we see come out the, him come out the sixty-two? Uh, definitely gonna have to keep our eyes on it. He's already jacking home runs over the fence, so we're definitely gonna have to keep our eyes on that. Um, you know, it's baseball. has got a few new rules this year. They have the pitch clock. I don't mind it. Um, and then some old familiars back. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout being amazing at the Angels still are awful. Um, the Yankees, unless they're hitting the ball over the fence, they are mundane. They're not awful, but they are mundane. They're very average. If they can't bombs uh, over the fence all game. Um... You know, they, you know, the injuries are cellar dwellers. There's the Marlins. Um, I'm not sure what the Mets are going to do this year. Look at the Astros, you know, uh, as they try to come back and go for another ring. The Dodgers have their all-star roster still ready and loaded up. Like, there's so many different teams that can have a chance of winning um, the World Series this year. They were definitely going to keep our eye on baseball. I will get you guys much more updated Um in the not so distant future and then but again welcome back baseball welcome back uh, opening day the pitch clock i think is actually helping the pace of play which is bringing in a more uh diverse fan base because a diehard baseball fan will be there five hours no biggie but if you're in a diverse if you're a person who's not a diehard baseball fan you're used to you know three and a half hours max for a game and that's college football or the nfl five six hours for a game is just not uh, feasible for the um, average fan that may be, you know, average sports fan that's just, you know, scrolling through, they see, you know, top of the first inning, bottom of the second, you know, 
early in the baseball game and go, oh, maybe I should watch the MLB game, see what, see if I can get into it. And they don't want to be there five hours. You know, kind of like with the new pitch clock, they're there two hours, 40-some minutes, maybe three hours tops. They're in and out. It's like a watch. It's shorter than a college football game, a little bit longer than the NBA game. It's a time schedule that the average sports fan is used to in America. And so I definitely think the pitch clock is helping. Now, for baseball purists, they hate it. Because part of the gamesmanship was taking your time and figuring out what pitch you wanted and talking to your catcher and trying to feel out the batters, you know, all the other stuff. And it's like, you can, that's cool, but, like, do it on a time schedule. Um, and so what people are doing, though, it's, uh, it's affecting the stolen base. It could potentially affect the stolen base numbers. Because, for instance, if I know you got a pitch in, th- in 25 seconds, when it gets to two, I'm taking off. You know, when it gets to that, you know, three second, four second, I'm taking a big lead. And then the minute I'm, all, I'm, I'm leaning towards stealing the base. Um, and so that's going to definitely change some of the gamesmanship on the base pass. Um, but I think it's a good it's a good overall thing. Uh, scoring doesn't seem to be too outlandish this year. Uh, I mean, certain teams are horrible. Like the Angels lost tonight 11-2. Certain teams are horrible. Um and they have two of the best two players in the world. Um, but for the, I mean, I think scoring is relatively um, the same in terms of early volume. It's just, you know, the pitch clock has the ability to frame the game of baseball in a sense, in a time frame that, again, the average American sports fan is used to, such as about three hours, which fits in with. Uh, a little bit shorter than a college baseball basketball game and a little bit longer than an NBA game. But that is all we have for today. That's all I have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy coming to you. Like I said, one day early or uh, earlier than normal. I plan on being back on my every Thursday rotation for you guys starting next week. So no biggies there. If you guys used to hear me on Thursdays, you'll should be hearing that again next week. But I definitely wanted to give you guys a show this week. You guys have earned it. You guys have been great, supportive, loyal. And you guys come to me for your sports knowledge and some amazing, unfiltered, unbiased opinions. So I'm glad that you guys uh, are tuning in on a Wednesday. Uh, again, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to uh, follow and turn on the post notifications for Just In Time Sports so that way you're always in the loop. But, again, that is all the time I have for today. This is your owner and host, Justin Jackson, signing out.